0: Welcome to Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. This is episode 14, and for the first time today, we're going to venture out of the European continent. This was a little bit unplanned in the sense that I had planned to dedicate this episode to Bulgaria, but instead... The Master of the Universe had different plans. And when I woke up yesterday morning, the first four articles I saw in the International Jewish Press were all about the plans of the so-called last Jew in Afghanistan to leave Kabul and abandon the synagogue that he's been guarding there for the past 20 years or so. So for many of you the location of Afghanistan or even the existence of a Jewish community there might come as a surprise. So let me try to go over some basics. So Afghanistan is located to the north of Pakistan, the east of Iran, and south of Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Tajikistan. And there's a little finger-like extension in the far northeast of Afghanistan that actually touches the Chinese border. And that was not really an accident, but an artifice of history. Uh, The Brits and the Russians used to play something called the Great Game in Central Asia. And the Brits basically drew the map of modern Afghanistan. The Jewish community in Afghanistan goes back to the period right after the destruction of the First Temple in 586 BCE, and contains really several different periods about which most Western Jews know very little. Having said that, I want to address an issue that I find bothersome about Jews in the Americas in general, and not only the United States, not only North America, but North, Central, and South America. We all like shortcuts, so we tend to be binary in our thinking. And we tend to ask about Jews, are they Sephardic or are they Ashkenazic? And so far, at least, on this podcast, all the communities that I've described have been either Sephardic or Ashkenazic or a mixture of the two. In the case of Afghanistan, we have a classic example of a Jewish community, which is neither. So what other category is there? I mean... Once I heard a very flip Israeli tour guide answer a question posed by a non-Jew during a visit to the old Jewish ghetto in Shanghai. And the question was, so what's the difference between Ashkenazim and Sephardim? And his answer was, well, that's simple. Sephardim eat rice and Ashkenazim eat noodles. Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but it is true that those two ethnic groups are often divided by the foods they eat and also by the languages they speak. Obviously, for many Ashkenazim, the mother tongue, the mamalushin spoken by their grandmothers, was Yiddish. And for many Sephardim, the mother tongue was Ladino, or Old Spanish, uh, which in some places, in some Jewish communities, is still referred to as Español. But the fact is, there are many Jews in the world whose families never set foot in the Iberian Peninsula, and are therefore not Sephardic. And they never set foot in Eastern or Central Europe, never spoke a word of Yiddish, never even heard of gefilte fish, so they're not Ashkenazic either. What are they? The correct term for these communities in Hebrew is Eidot HaMizrach, the Communities of the East. And they live scattered from Morocco, which does have some Sephardic Jews, but also some Jews who are definitely a Dota Mizrach, all the way across North Africa to Egypt, and then the Arabian Peninsula. And then, and people often forget this, these were great centers of Jewish population until quite recently, countries like Iraq and Iran, Afghanistan, and some of the countries that were once Soviet republics in the Central Asian part of the Soviet Union, just north of Afghanistan, like Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, etc. There's a very ancient Jewish community in Bukhara, for example, which is neither Ashkenazic nor Sephardic. It's the communities of the east. So that's the case with Afghanistan as well. And I have a very special and personal tie with Afghanistan that made me jump when I saw this headline, and I will eventually share with you the nature of that tie. First, let me tell you that the so-called last Jew in Afghanistan has been known that way to Jewish journalists for at least a decade, probably two. His name is Zvolun Simantov. His wife and two daughters have lived in Israel since 1998. And he has the sort of self-appointed unpaid job of Shomer, guardian of the last synagogue in Kabul. And he describes the zeal with which he has performed this task through multiple wars and incredible political turmoil as being quote, like a lion of the Jews here. now. Why do I want to talk with you about this relatively obscure community? Sadly, it's just one among many of the vanishing Jewish communities in the world. Think about Yemen and Syria, which were both large, ancient, thriving Jewish communities just a few decades ago. But with this synagogue in Kabul and with the wider Simantov family, and Simantov, by the way, in Hebrew means a good sign, and it's a very common Jewish family name throughout Central Asia, Let me tell you a little bit about the history of Afghan Jewry. This particular Simon Tov, who was the quote-unquote last Jew in Afghanistan, like so many other Afghan Jews, was actually born in Herat, which is in the northwest corner of the country near the borders with Iran and Turkmenistan. Herat was for many centuries the center of Afghan Jewish life, in part because of its strategic position on the ancient Silk Route connecting Europe with China, And also in part because it was the first major stopping point that was free of fanatics east of the Shiite holy city of Mashhad in the northeastern corner of Iraq, of Iran, sorry. Herat at one point in recent history had at least six active synagogues. Unlike the Buddhist holy sites in Afghanistan, those synagogues were not destroyed by the Taliban or by anybody else. But because they had no Mr. Simontov to protect them, they fell into disrepair a series of different governments in Kabul directed that one of them should be turned into a school, a second should be turned into a mosque, and the other four should be restored to their former glory as synagogues. Now, this process is very much a work in progress, with some funds coming from the Afghan government, which doesn't have a lot of spare cash, some from the Aga Khan Foundation, which does, and the bulk of the funds come from Afghan Jewish emigres living in Israel, Europe, and or the U.S. Jews lived in Afghanistan since at least the time of Cyrus the Great, shortly after the destruction of the First Temple. But that was long before the growth of the Silk Route or the urbanization of Herat. So what was the center of Jewish life in Afghanistan before it was Herat. The ancient city of Balkh, capital of the once powerful kingdom of Bactria and home to the Bactrian or two-humped camel, is known to have been the center of Jewish life in Afghanistan for many centuries before written records exist. It is claimed by at least several sources to be the burial place of the prophet Ezekiel and the home of the prophet Jeremiah. Gradually, the emphasis shifts westward to Herat and then eventually southeast to the capital of the new state of Afghanistan, and namely Kabul. A 12th century Muslim travel writer already back then wrote about the importance of the Jewish quarter of Kabul. And less than 10 years ago, an incredible treasure trove of 11th century documents written in Hebrew, Aramaic, Judeo Arabic and Judeo Persian was discovered in some Taliban caves in the eastern part of the country. This collection was considered so important that it was called the Afghan Geniza, putting it on a parallel with the very famous Cairo Geniza. 20th century history of Jews in Afghanistan was a real roller coaster ride. Population rose and shrank dramatically multiple times. First, the rises were due to various refugee crises in parts of the former Soviet Union and or Persia, which produced massive inflows of Jewish refugees. At the same time, however, a series of Afghan governments made life increasingly difficult for the Jews who lived there. In 1948, when the State of Israel was proclaimed, there were only about 5,000 Jews left in all of Afghanistan, down from a peak of somewhere between 50,000 and 100,000. Allowed officially to emigrate in 1951, most of those remaining Jews fled either to Israel or the United States. By the time of the Soviet invasion in 1979, only about 300 Jews remained, and they were all in Kabul. And now, after years of Soviet occupation, endless civil wars, Huge political and economic instability, the Jewish population is down to one man, Mr. Simon Tov. So, what's my personal connection with this family and this synagogue that one member of the extended family decided to stay behind and guard? This goes back to when I was still a teenager. In 1970, my university gave me a grant to do social science research for my undergraduate honors thesis in India. And it never occurred to me to buy an airline ticket directly to India. I flew to Europe and proceeded to visit friends and friends of friends all along a route that I essentially invented as I went along. Traveling mostly by bus, train, and or hitchhiking, I crossed Greece, Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, and Afghanistan before ever setting foot in India. But I made an important detour by air to see friends in Cyprus and in Israel along the way. Among the friends I saw there were three friends who were spending their junior year abroad at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, and I persuaded them to meet me in Kabul for their Christmas break, and then we would go into the former Soviet Union via Tashkent, and we would distribute sidurim chumashim, Jewish holy books, to Jews who were still sort of imprisoned in a fiercely atheistic Soviet Union. This was back in the Brezhnev days. Separately, I had a friend who was an eminent professor at Harvard, and he and his wife had a sabbatical year in Jerusalem, and they had taken in two Afghan brothers who were high school kids at the time, And when I met them, I told them I was heading to Afghanistan, and they quickly wrote a letter to their parents and made me promise to deliver it by hand and to tell the parents how good their sons were looking and how they were thriving and how they were healthy and happy, et cetera, et cetera. What was the name of these brothers and their parents? Simantov, the same family as the guy who's guarding the last synagogue in Kabul. Weeks later, when I finally arrived in Kabul, it was not at all difficult to locate the parents of these boys. very lovely couple invited me to spend Shabbos in their home, answered all my naive questions about what it was like to be a Jew Jew in Afghanistan, and, most memorably, that Mr. Simontov, 50 years ago, took me to prayers with him morning and evening, every day, in the synagogue. That his relative is guarding until this very day, slightly more than 50 years later, the same synagogue, is sort of a miracle. It was my first experience of what a tight-knit Jewish community can be like at its very best. The men all gathered every morning and wished each other a good and successful day in the marketplace where they all had stalls selling different types of jewelry, leather, cloth, whatever. And then in the evening, they gathered for prayers again and exchanged news of the marketplace, what the latest exchange rates were, what the black markets rate were, what political rumors were coming out of the palace, et cetera, et cetera. They were like literally one big family of Cousins, brothers, sisters, whatever, and they exuded a lot of warmth. When I finally got to meet my friends in Kabul, which is a separate and very interesting story, the Simanto family insisted on having all of us over for dinner. And obviously their home was kosher. So two of my friends were rabbi sons. They were very pleased by this. And The family gave one of my friends a burlap sack full of Afghan pistachios, which were a specialty, which he schlepped all around the former Soviet Union for two or three weeks before finally delivering those to the Simontov sons in Jerusalem with warm regards from their parents. In any case, I will never forget that synagogue or that family, even if the community they so ably represented has been dispersed to the four corners of the globe.